Welcome to Murder and Mimosas, a true crime podcast brought to you by a mother and daughter duo, bringing you murder stories with the mimosas in hand. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back to Murder Mimosas. I'm Danica. And I'm Shannon. Today we are going to talk about a story that oddly comes full circle. I know I don't know what that means exactly, but I'm intrigued. Let's talk about Amy Bishop and her brother Seth Bishop. Amy was the older of the two, and she was born in 1965. She suffered from asthma during her childhood, and because of that, she experienced many ER trips. However, it would be at the hospital that Amy would begin this budding interest in science that kind of sticks with her for the rest of her life. Amy also took up violin in the third grade, and... Inspired by his big sister, Seth, her younger brother, asked to begin playing violin as well. Both were very gifted violinists. Though it is possible that this created a bit of competitiveness competitiveness between the siblings. That's really kind of on par for any set of siblings, I think. From all accounts, though, it sounds like Amy and Seth had a pretty average childhood. They had fun birthday parties. They flew wooden planes together. They spent time at their grandmother's lake house on Lake Winnipesaukee. I'm not sure about Winnipesaukee. 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 Maybe. I don't know. In the summer. (laughs) Where is the lake at? So it's in New Hampshire. Okay. I may have missed it, but is is that the state they live in or they just vacation there? No, they just go there in the summer to see their grandmother. They actually live in... Braintree, Massachusetts. And I thought we had weird names of towns in Arkansas, but Braintree is a new one for me. So it seemed overall to be like a fairly normal family, Um, but it would change drastically in 1986. At the time, Amy was 21 years old. She's um, attending Northeastern, but she had come home to visit her family. And that day, for some unknown reason she had a 12 gauge shotgun while she was in her childhood bedroom and she fired a shot off and it went into the wall and then she proceeded to go into the kitchen where her mother and her younger brother Seth were and the gun went off again and it went straight into Seth's chest. Amy in a state of panic quickly fled the home and ran on foot to a nearby auto shop but keep in mind she's still holding the gun while doing this. When she gets to the auto shop, she threatens the mechanics there, and she demands a car from them. They see she has a gun. They don't want any part of this. They quickly flee the scene unarmed. In the meantime, back at home, Amy's mother, Judy, has called 911. So after this call, the police track Amy down. She's sitting outside the auto shop, still clutching the shotgun, and they describe her as being seemingly in a state of shock. I mean, I'm still confused on why she had the shotgun in the first place. 
Well, I can't answer that, but I can tell you that according to Judy, which is Amy's mom again, the shooting of Seth was apparently accidental. That does not sound accidental when you come in with a shotgun. This is her version of events. She said that Amy was supposedly attempting to unload the gun, and it accidentally went off. So, I feel like everybody who's ever touched a gun knows the first rule of, like, any gun is you don't aim it at anyone. Right. But she obviously can't unload the gun, so maybe she doesn't know much about him. So, with this information, the chief of police, John Polio, releases Amy, who is being held in jail after the police picked her up in front of the auto shop. And the shooting was ruled accidental. And then, you know, this is a small town, Braintree is. So it was scrutinized pretty heavily. I'd be skeptical too, but with the witness statement from Judy, they don't take a ton to go on to do, do to a ton that they go on, though, do they? No, I agree. But I think the criticism was so heavy because Judy had been a big political supporter of the police of chief chief of police and because judy wasn't actually interviewed about the events that took place until 11 days after the shooting things just weren't adding up for people anyway amy faced no legal repercussions for her shooting or threatening the people at the auto shop and would just continue on with her life as normal amy went on to get her bachelor's of science at northwestern and while she was attending eastern I say Northwestern? Yeah, it just sounds right, but it's Northeastern. They should change the name. Anyway, yes. the Bachelor of Science. one called Northwestern, so they can't. Well, there shouldn't be a Northeastern. It's very <laughs> confusing. I am not Lewis and Clark. I'm good <laughs> with directions, okay? So, a Bachelor of Science from Northeastern, <laughs> and while attending college there, she meets James Anderson Jr., who she would later go on to marry. In 1993, Amy ended up getting her Ph.D. in genetics from Harvard, and James and Amy would have four children together. In 2001, she would give birth to a son that she would name Seth Bishop Anderson in, lo- in honor of her late brother. She named her son after the brother she killed? Yes, for some reason. I don't know why. That just feels weird to me. Anyway, Amy goes on to work for Dr. Paul Rosenberg in his neurobiology lab at the Boston Children's Hospital. And despite her impressive education at Northeastern and Harvard, Amy did not do well in her new role. Uh, Rosenberg gave her a performance review that was far from positive. This, of course, is upsetting to Amy. and. Apparently, it upsets her so much that she becomes on the verge of a breakdown. So, realizing that she may not be the best fit, Amy resigns from her position at the hospital. Rosenberg, though, gets a bombshell of package in the mail when he opens it up, and it has two pipe bombs. You see what I did there? Yeah, I, I saw that. That was good. Mm, I know. But they failed to detonate. Lucky for him. I'm sure that was extremely scary for Rosenberg. Was there anything on the package that potential that pointed to who might have sent it or anything? I mean, I'm sure they're not like, hey, this is from Amy. <laughs> yeah. No, no. They didn't say, like, you know, 
They didn't have a return address or anything. Um, but police do have Amy as a person of suspicion, and they bring her in and her husband, James, for questioning. And while Amy doesn't say anything incriminating, her husband admitted to having a desire to, quote, shoot, stab, or strangle Rosenberg. But nothing seemed to come from that questioning besides that quote, though. I guess James didn't say he had a desire to blow up Rosenberg, though. He was just off the hook. I guess so. <laughs> well, Amy would have another run-in with police in less than a year after her son Seth was born. She goes into an IHOP in Massachusetts, and it's fairly busy. And due to the restaurant being slammed, another family was able to snag the last booster seat before the Anderson family arrived. Amy was not having this at all, though. She comes extremely confrontational with this woman who got the last booster seat because she was there first and demands that the woman give the booster seat up to Amy. She is raving and ranting and cussing at the woman. And wouldn't you believe it? The woman said no. (laughs) She denied to succumb to Amy's demands. So Amy, in a fit of rage, hauls off and punches the woman in the head while screaming, I am Dr. Amy Bishop. Oh, wow. That's insane. Obviously, the police are called. Is she somehow let off yet again? No, Amy is arrested for assault and battery and disorderly conduct. She does not fight it. She pleads guilty, but it's to a misdemeanor charge. This, plus her lack of a record, because there's nothing technically before that, uh, the judge just sentences her to anger management classes. It honestly sounds like she could use these classes. While I agree, it's probably no shock that she does not ever go to any of the classes. Um, in 2003, Amy would be given a position at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. That could lead to tenure. Amy and James and the kids moved to Huntsville for the job. And in tandem with this new job, Amy and James are working towards a patent for an automated cell incubator. What is that exactly? Uh, I'm going to tell you, I had to Google it, and I still wasn't 100% sure. But the gist that I could get was it, it's used by a biologist to maintain a temperature and high humidity for the growth of tissue culture cells under a CO2 atmosphere. Oh, this still doesn't really make okay. sense to me. I but got it now, though. Okay. okay. If you're a science person <laughs> and I did it wrong, and that's not what it is, I'm sorry. That's what Google told me. So I'm not really sure if that helps, but that's the easiest understanding that I could understand. It's clear as mud now. Thank you. Yes, yes, you're welcome. <laughs> but to be honest, it really has no bearing on the case, so <laughs> we're going to move on. So while working on this patent, Amy still had to publish papers or she would possibly be denied her tenure, and her colleagues warned her of this. She did publish one paper, 2009. It was to an online journal where she referred to her husband and three of her four children as her co-workers. <laughs> Oh, wow. She did not include Seth, by the way. Okay. Seth is not a co-worker. Okay. So, obviously, this was totally false. And with one paper in six years, and that one paper being full of false information, she was unsurprisingly denied tenure in the spring of 2009. Does this mean she lost her job? Not instantly, but the spring of 2010 semester would be her last semester at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. So February 2nd, I'm sorry, February 12th, February 12th of 2010, Amy goes about her day as normal, teaching her usual classes of anatomy and neurosciences. I would fail both. Um, 
obviously because we heard Blaine explain this oh, once later. Um, according to her students in those classes, she seemed to be, quote, normal during class, no red flags, no out-of-character behavior. And after finishing up with her classes, she attended a biology department meeting with her colleagues. During the meeting, Amy was reserved, which they said was out of character for her. Um, that is until the meeting started to come to a close. At that time, Amy wants to make herself well-known. She pulls out a 9mm semi-automatic from her purse and points it at the head of the department, Dr. Gopi Padilla. She shoots him in the head and kills him instantly. Though Amy's rage did not seem to be pacified because she continued to shoot five more in the meeting in just minutes. Two of those five would also die from their wounds. Just out of curiosity, how many people were attending this meeting? Um, about a dozen people were in the meeting after shooting those five. So she's already shot almost half the meeting. Um, she shoots those five and then she turns towards Dr. Deborah Morardi, who is considered a friend to Amy. Um, however, when Dr. Deborah voted against Amy's tenure, I think Amy no longer considered her a friend. But Deborah begs for her life while Amy holds the gun on her. A stroke of luck for Deborah comes when Amy's gun jams when she tries to shoot Deborah. She pulls the trigger and all she gets is click. Of course, she's a smart woman and she see, does what anybody would likely do in this situation. She sees her out and she takes it. Deborah runs out of the room with Amy quick on her heels, still trying to shoot Deborah. Please tell me Dr. Deborah survives. She does survive and she's able to get away from Amy. Amy decides that she's done as much damage as she can do, and she heads to the nearest bathroom where she stashes her bloody blazer and the gun. Crushing bloody blazer. Bloody blazer. Bloody bloody blit. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I just want to have another point of reference here. Um, why are you going to wait to the end of the meeting? Who wants to be in staff meetings? Why don't you get this over at the beginning? Why are you going to sit through a staff meeting? Put everybody out of their misery. Yeah. In I'm sorry. I don't want to make a lot of the situation, but still, I'm just thinking, why would you not do it at the beginning? Maybe she had to, to get her, the... like, courage up or something. Maybe. I don't know. Can't say I've ever gone to a meeting with a plan well, to shoot people, so I can't. Having to sit through a staff meeting might make you want to shoot people. Maybe. Maybe she was, like, really thinking about it, and then after a while, she's yeah. like, oh, no, I'm doing it. I'm I done. can't do any more staff meetings. Yeah. But, I mean, she was about to not have to be there anymore, yeah. so. Yeah. I don't, think it, I don't think it was a staff meeting that did her in. I don't think so. So she takes her bloody blazer and the gun, and she stashes those in the bathroom. And then she borrows a cell phone from a student and calls her husband. What I don't think Amy expected, though, was the sheriff to be right outside the building as she walked out. She walks out. She's detained instantaneously. And she's brought up on one charge of capital murder and three counts of attempted murder. Okay, that accounts for the department head and the three that survived. But what about the other two she shot and killed? Yeah, I looked into that because even if they didn't think they could get capital murder for those two as well, it seems like they could at least get some sort of charge, even a lesser charge, you know, first degree, second degree, something. However, um, to add a little salt to the wound, four months after her arrest in Alabama, Amy was hit with a first degree murder charge from Massachusetts for her brother's death. What? Yeah. So two days after that comes out, 
Amy attempts to take her own life, and she's hospitalized. In September of 2012, Amy pleaded guilty to all the charges in Alabama and was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. However, Amy wanted to be tried for the shooting of her brother. She claimed she wanted to prove her innocence, but Massachusetts decided to not bring the case to trial since she's already serving life in prison. Why waste yeah, the time, right, money, and yeah, resources? Don't, yeah, don't waste all that money and time. So 2013, Amy appeals, hoping to attempt to reverse her guilty plea. You can't just say, never mind, I decided I'm not guilty. Well, she claims that she was not correctly informed of the rights she would be waiving by pleading guilty. That woman was a doctor. She's not an idiot. Well, uh-huh. she is kind of an idiot, but still. Yes. So it doesn't matter. There's no, It doesn't work for her, right? The appeal is clearly rejected because if it wasn't, then every person who ever pleaded guilty could reverse it. So Amy, um, has his, her husband, is now left alone with four kids to raise on his own. And he seemed to struggle coming to terms with what happened that day. A lot. Just the, the whole, why did this happen? How did it happen? And then, how do I get up the next day? And take care of the kids. Make sure that they're shielded, isolated, and insulated from this. Got this little. Yeah. How are you talking to him about it? Violence was still a part of the family, despite Amy being behind bars. Gun violence, to be specific. On April nineteenth, two thousand and twenty-one, Seth Bishop Anderson, Amy's son, that she named after her late brother was shot and killed in Huntsville at only 20 years old. He was shot by 18-year-old Vincent Harmon, who ended up charged with reckless murder. According to Seth's family, Seth looked a lot like his uncle that he was named after, and both were quite talented violin players. I see where the full circle comes in. It's very strange that after being named after his uncle, he met the same fate as his uncle. Yeah, and the thing was, he was 20 and was shot by an 18-year-old and almost flips because Seth, the uncle, was 18 and was shot and killed by a 21-year-old. That's creepy. I know. So that is the story of Amy Bishop and the Bishop Anderson family and the weird full circle that seems to come out of it. I just, I don't know, did she have any mental health issues that you know of? Not that I could find, and I guess because she pled guilty, um, there was no reason for them to look into her mental health as a, you know, mitigating factor for going to trial. Maybe they thought that would come out if she went to trial for her brother, Uh, but since that didn't happen, I don't think at any point anyone ever looked into it. I hope her remaining children get some kind of um, checkup or something on that, because that just... That seems odd. Therapy. That's what they need. For sure. Therapy. They need something. Well, I'm just saying, if your mom is Amy Bishop, you need therapy. I didn't mention this in here, um, but one of her daughters was actually going to that school that she shot people, the University of Alabama in Huntsville. Not only did she attend that school, but was actually on the campus the day that happened. Like, 
can you imagine having to go back to school and oh, face no. people? No, I would drop out. No. Right. Like, they all need therapy because that's a lot. So tell us what you guys think. I'm sure mental illness definitely played a part in this. But what are your thoughts about it coming full circle like that? Because I think that it's really weird, actually. Just kind of creepy. Poetic justice, in a way. Her son didn't deserve it. No, but I mean, it's horrible to lose your own kid and to know what you did and how your son dies. Even if you're in prison and you can't see him, you normally want the best for your kid. I I don't know about her because she's gone weird but um, i wouldn't call her normal yeah yeah so maybe it's not but i mean she's holding babies and punching ladies in ihop that's true that's poetic do you hear that (laughs) holding babies and punching ladies (laughs) way to go i'm gonna put that on a t-shirt all right so you guys tell us what you think i'm not about her poetic abilities but about other things unless you want to tell me that i'm good (laughs) otherwise i don't want to know we always recommend more bubbly and less oj Cheers! If you'd like to see pictures from today's episode, you can find us at murder.mimosas on Instagram. You can also find us at murder.mimosas on TikTok, Twitter. And if you have a case you would like us to do, you can send that to murder.mimosas at gmail.com. And lastly, we are on Facebook at Murder and Mimosas Podcast, where you can interact with us there. We love any type of feedback you can give us, so... Please rate and view us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.